0: Hello and welcome to Hysteria.
1: I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastermonico.
0: Alyssa, I learned this week that Bonnie Willis, the DA who is behind the charges that Trump faces in Georgia, wants to try all 19 defendants at the same time.
1: It's delicious.
0: You know what I pictured when I heard that fact? what? Do you remember that viral TikTok of a cart full of rubber chickens and someone pushing down on all of them at the same time and all of them making Yes! Oh, oh my God.
1: We have to resurface
0: that just for this episode. <laughs> I feel like that's the sound they would make while they were pleading uh, not guilty. Um, yeah. <laughs> Alyssa, I am so excited for people to hear this episode today. Reason one, One of our all-time top 10 most
1: wanted guests. Icon. We have been following. We have been tracking. We have been pleading. And she's here.
0: (laughs) Yes, we're talking about the Black Forager. Also, um, loved kind of getting into the news with you per usual. It always feels like cathartic. And then we have a really great conversation with two of our faves. Tian Tran, who is in the middle of a soccer game. Extremely tightly wound. Uh, It's a close game, Uh, but she's hilarious (laughs) and amazing, as always. Naomi Paragon is also with us this week. Always funny, always great. And we get into a conversation about whether or not America is mean. And I mean, I think we all agree America is Spoiler, we think maybe. (laughs) We think maybe, but uh, the reasons that have recently been laid out in an article, we think maybe are a little shaky i um, super into it. And then Sanity Corner slash I Feel Petty.
1: We're all going to really feel bad for Naomi once we're done listening to hers. <laughs>
0: okay, this is Hysteria, the podcast that can't stop art directing movie poster parodies of the Trump indictments. I can't do it. It's a problem.
1: Amen. <laughs> it's a problem.
0: <laughs> you know, I saw something really funny this week in the news. I mean, I know that everything's sort of been eclipsed by the giant indictment blocking the sun, but other things are indeed going on. Did you see that Ron DeSantis has made some new public comments about the Disney lawsuit?
1: I have not. Oh my god. Okay, so... What did he have to say for himself? He was like, you
0: know what, guys? I've moved on. Maybe Disney should stop suing me. <laughs> Shut <laughs> he, up. He's like, I've moved... Moved on, but like you don't get to decide that, sir. You don't.
1: No, that's not up. Oh, God, to there is such a fundamental misunderstanding <laughs> in the Republican Party about how lawsuits work. <laughs> uh, I mean, here's the thing: I know Ron DeSantis is not stupid. You know,
0: like no, he's not like a Kushner. He went to decent colleges, so at one point in his life, he was intelligent, right? compared to other people his age. Enough.
1: I don't know, man. You know,
0: he's only 44. People aren't talking about that
1: enough. We've talked about the fact that I'm older than Ron DeSantis, but let me just say, I look way younger. (laughs) Just think
0: like evil ages your face.
1: Evil does age. I mean, I think that's very true. Look at Cruella DeVille. Yeah, she's... Honestly, an icon. Um, okay, so
0: <laughs> apparently, we're going to get a mugshot of the former president, um, disgraced former president, current presidential front runner for the Republican nomination. Donald Trump and 18 others were criminally charged in connection with efforts to overturn Biden's 2020 win in the state of Georgia. The indictment is the fourth. To implicate the president, it follows a -a two-and-a-half-year investigation by Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis that also resulted in charges against Trump attorney Rudy Giuliani, former White House chief of staff Mark Meadows, and several of Trump's advisors, including Sidney Powell, which was, like, funny. Mm. I was listening to some MSNBC coverage of the indictment night, and, you know, like most breaking news coverages, listen— to later. It was kind of useless because it didn't really give a lot of information because they didn't really have a lot of information. Right. But there was a part where Rachel Maddow got the indictment and was reading it and she was reading all of the indicted people. And it was like first middle last name. And I realized if a newscaster is reading your middle name, you were in big trouble. Yeah. Yeah. You've been you're under arrest. For being a serial killer. <laughs> you have been indicted. Problematic. <laughs> you don't want Rachel Maddow reading your middle name unless she's nope. literally marrying you.
1: Um <laughs> it is the equivalent of your mother saying your your middle name when you're like six.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the grand jury issued arrest warrants for the people that were charged, and they have until noon on August 25th to voluntarily surrender. Trump was charged with thirteen counts, including violating the state's racketeering act, soliciting a public officer to violate their oath, conspiring to impersonate a public officer, conspiring to commit forgery in the first degree, and conspiring to file false documents. His associates were charged with related Georgia's anti-racketeering law, which is apparently a Fonnie Willis's Signature law. It's her triple Lutz. She used it to prosecute teachers who, yes. like, who conspired to uh, cheat on tests. She knows her way around the RICO statutes, and uh, they're in trouble. I feel like they're in trouble. Um, but one thing I kind of wanted to talk about, I mean, Pod Save America has done some really good analysis of, of the actual indictment we've got other pods that have gotten drilled down into like more specifics uh, legally. I kind of wanted to just flag something for people. And uh, that is that one of Donald Trump's favorite things in his bag of trick, trick singular, is figuring out which person involved in anything inconveniencing him will most incite his followers. So he usually picks out somebody to pick on who will most enrage his followers. And usually that person is a black person or a woman or a black woman. If there is a black woman involved Mm -hmm. in something that it stands in the way of Donald Trump, even if she is not the only reason that Donald Trump is having a hard time, he will attack her and sick his followers on her. And this is not something that is new in any way, shape, or form. Fonnie Willis, he has uh, attacked her. which She's a black woman. His attacks have been super personal. He has, I- I'm not even going to repeat these unsubstantiated claims and give them oxygen, but he has made wild accusations yeah. about her being wildly, uh, immoral in the course of her job, which are completely baseless. He keeps repeating it. Uh, he has called, uh, Manhattan prosecutor Alvin Bragg awful names. He has attacked Letitia Tish James. He has also attacked Tanya Chutkin, who is also a black woman.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a pattern. It's an obvious pattern. (laughs) He is not deft. He is not subtle. He is obvious like a heart attack. Yeah. Extremely obvious,
0: like a heart attack. And um, I saw an article yesterday about how Fonnie Willis said she has never been called the N-word so much since.
1: Yeah. I saw that too. Horrible. These people are horrible. But you know what he's just nervous about? You know why he's setting his supporters on her? Because since she became DA, the office has a 97% conviction rate. What?
0: Weird. You know, it's weird. All of these like Trump supporters are people with those like bumper stickers of the American flag with the blue stripe on it. And they're like, back the blue, yay, cops, we love the cops. But like, isn't she like the main cop if she's a prosecutor? Isn't that? She's the main law enforcement official. It's kind of like, that's a pretty important law. I mean, do they like law enforcement or like they are they ACAB now? Like, what's going on with Donald Trump's followers?
1: Don't know. I feel like they're really uh, blowing in the wind fair weather
0: friends of the blue. Yeah, I feel like they kind of like fascism more than they like actual law enforcement.
1: It feels that way, doesn't it? it
0: feels that way. Uh,
1: we've got some
0: interesting and very discouraging but also encouraging science news. Alyssa, you want
1: to get into it? Well, Aaron in science hates women news. Menstrual hygiene products like tampons and pads have now been compared by using blood testing for the first time. (laughs) Erin, did it ever occur to you that when you were being sold maxi pads or super plus tampons for extra flow, that they were talking about fucking water (laughs) and not blood? Wait, hold on, Erin. There's an actual saying, blood is thicker than water. Is it nobody? I can't believe all of the times I feel like I have been so duped (laughs) because all of those commercials, when they do the blue liquid, I always thought it was some sort of like viscous gel. You know what I mean? I didn't know it was just blue water. Like, of course it's not the same.
0: (laughs) I mean, it's a product that was designed to work on something that the product is not used for. I'm not using tampons to soak up
1: saline Correct. (laughs) I can't. When we saw this article, I was like, first of all, I felt like some sort of like validation because I'm like, why don't tampons work quite right for me? I have thought this for my entire fucking adult life. We're going on 35 years. I have been like, why? Why do the tampons not work right? white? And I'm not going to go into detail because any person who uses tampons knows exactly what I'm talking about right now. They know. And so anyway, yes, a study published in the BMJ Sexual and Reproductive Health Journal that came out on August 7th was the first to compare the absorption of period products using human blood. And guess what it found out? Finding that diaphragm-shaped menstrual discs may be better than pads or tampons at absorbing menstrual flow. Obviously. But I create a crime scene when I have tried to use the (laughs) diaphragm-shaped menstrual discs. And so I have always defaulted to pads and tampons. But now I understand that they were not using any solution whatsoever, Um, you know. That's great. And the the problem with this is, Erin, is that when you try to explain to a doctor how your flow is, you tend to base it on the products you use. So if you're like, oh, I have a really heavy flow. Well, like, I don't know, do you? Like, what is happening? And talking about your flow is central to understanding. Are you anemic? Do you have any sort of disorders or underlying conditions? So anyway, that, not great.
2: (laughs) I mean,
0: like, Every day, so many people are using these products. What product was tested on something that it isn't what the product... Like, it would be like, okay, well, you know, we developed these new airbags for the car. Oh, does it work in a, in a crash? No, we used it for like... We used it on a hot air balloon. <laughs> we used it in a carnival game where people threw balls at it. Oh, okay, well, I need it in a car crash. So, could you test it in a car crash?
1: I mean, oh, my God. Yeah. Wait, but that's not all the period news. That's not all the period news that we have this week. Oh, good. They're trying to bury it, Erin. Bury it in the summer where they think people aren't paying attention. But we're making sure that people pay attention. Well, there was new research that found that, quote, unquote, forever chemicals, also known as PFAS, uh, forever chemicals were found in the lining of period underwear, the wrappers of tampons, and in other menstruation products. Why does this matter? Because forever chemicals are man-made compounds that can potentially accumulate in the body over time and take years to break down in nature. They have been implicated in a number of serious health effects, including cancers, cancers, Aaron, cancers. Has anyone not seen the crazy commercials on television for if you were using Johnson and uh talcum powder that like you can t- yes that you can now like sue. This is not that different from that. These PFAs cause cancer, high blood pressure, disruption of the endocrine system, and potential developmental problems in children. This is a really good
0: reminder of the fact that like, for most of the history of Western medicine, doctors were like, mm, girls are too hard. We're just going to study men. And like, n- didn't do anything. Didn't do anything yes. to study what the female body actually needs and what works for the female body. Like what happens to the female body during all the different hormonal changes and how the chemicals that we use in manufacturing impact specifically the female body.
1: Right. And I have to be honest, I thought a lot of this stuff was sort of handled when we found out years ago that they found bleach and tampons and everyone's like, that's terrible. Well, apparently they didn't get rid of everything that was going to make our lady parts very, very unhappy. We need to just
0: like have some sort of a period protest where we just free bleed until they figure out how to
1: solve this shit. Yes. Yes be uncomfortable with the red spot in the seat of my pants. We're going to paint the streets red with our blood and endometrial
0: tissue uh until someone figures this shit out. Actually, I I just wanted to flag something. Um why am I talking like a corporate email? I don't know because it's funny. But the study of the PFAS, I know I'm never I'm never going to be corporate again. I will become a forager. Um but the study came from the University of Notre Dame. Where you went. Yes. But also brought us Aaron Ryan and Amy Coney Barrett.
1: Yes. Um, Real range. Notre Dame has range.
0: <laughs> they've got a lot more work to do if they want to make up for Amy Coney Barrett. Uh,
1: but this is a good start, guys. Good good work. And I'm sure listeners are curious about what products they should be worrying about. No products were named in the study. So unfortunately, oh, we don't know. Boo. We don't know what is uh, what's out there. <laughs>
0: Uh, that's why free bleeding until they fucking figure out what's going on. I'm tired of this. <laughs> give us the list of products. <laughs> I'm tired. You know, show up to the, like the main building steps and be like, I'm bleeding until you fix it. Notre Dame. Um, And then I will be going to jail in South Bend. We have uh, another story. Alyssa, I wanted uh, I wanted you to give us an update on this. This is Super sad, but really important for our listeners to pay attention to.
1: Yes. And last week, Erin, as we were recording, this was just breaking news, but the Lahaina Fire is now the deadliest fire in over 100 years, according to the U.S. Fire Administration. As of our recording today, only about a third of the Maui wildfire burn area has been searched. The death toll of what's already the deadliest wildfire is sure to increase. Um, As of today, the death toll is 106 from the wildfires. Um, The Hawaii governor, Josh Green, told CNN, more than 2,200 structures have been destroyed or damaged by fires, about 86% of them residential. The fires wiped out both power and communication for thousands. Hawaiian Electric announced it had restored power to about 80% of its customers on Maui. However... Hawaii Electric is also uh, facing a lawsuit claiming power lines blown over by high winds helped to cause the destructive fire, though an official cause has not yet been determined. What we have heard in certain news reports was that when wind gets high and fires break out, the protocol is to turn power off, and it appears that did not happen. Uh, Hawaii's attorney general is going to review the fire response also addressing why fire hydrants ran dry and 400 disaster alarms failed to activate as the fire spread. The fires in Kula are still burning uh, as we record. So, Aaron, we have been watching this on television. What is happening there is so horrible. President Biden just announced today that he and the First Lady will be visiting Maui on Monday. A lot of folks have been critical, saying that he should have been there sooner, I am the first one. This was my job for many years when I worked in the White House. On an island like Maui, it is good that he has not gone yet. The resources should be nothing but devoted to the people who need them. I think so much of what we have learned on TikTok and Instagram is so important for us that, you know, I think that so many people, myself included, have vacationed in Hawaii on Maui. And, you know, I have learned now that local residents during droughts and shortages were always told to use less water so that hotels and vacation spots uh, where tourists would be staying could use things you know with free rain i think that you know one of the stories that is inspiring and i think a lot of people on maui are hoping for there's a historic banyan tree in the middle of lahaina it is used as a gathering spot it is uh near one of the most historic uh parts of lahaina which also contains this area of Maui contains some of the most sacred and historically rich cultural properties and highest ranking sacred remains of Hawaiian ancestors. So the local arborist uh, who has inspected the banyan says that it is burned but there is they're holding out hope because there is a uh, live tree There is there is life underneath the uh, burn there's live tissue and that he is considering the tree currently in a coma. So I think that if they can keep the banyan tree alive, it would mean so much to the people of Lahaina. We want to help as much as we can. Anything counts. I have learned for years in situations like this, in severe disaster, the one thing communities need is money. That is the most important thing that you can give to them right now. So any dollar counts. We love to recommend the Maui Food Bank and the Hawaii Community Foundation, the Maui Strong Fund. We will link to several charities in our show notes this week for ways that you can help. And also to help keep Maui in the news. It is going to take years and years to rebuild. And Aaron, one of the sickest things I saw was uh, one of the local news reporters on TikTok, rather, saying that realtors, Aaron, had been trying to cross into the fire ravaged areas to figure out who owns what property so they can try and buy the property from these folks, this community. And the thing that's so important also about why we should, if we can, give money to this, because federal money will take a minute to get there. And that is what the realtors are banking on, that people don't know what kind of support they're going to get. They don't know what kind of insurance money they're going to be eligible for. And so the realtors are trying to give a quick hit of money to try to – it's so sick and so depressing. Fuck those people. Oh, my God. What – uh, yes.
0: So we we have a bunch of charities in our show notes. Uh, some a mutual aid fund, food banks, humane society, all kinds of places. And if you can give, please give and help. All right. We're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we've got an interview with the Black Forager. Welcome back. You're listening to Hysteria, the podcast equivalent of the Avengers. But instead of superheroes, we assemble interesting and cool women. We're more fun at parties than the Incredible Hulk anyway. Right? (laughs) Agreed. Without question. Without question. Okay. So our guest today is, I'm not exaggerating, she has been on our top 10 most wanted guest list for so long. She is an environmental science enthusiast and social media star who teaches her followers how to forage food wherever they may be. She also spreads pure joy in the process. You may know her as the Black Forager. We're so excited to welcome Alexis Nicole. Hello, Alexis.
3: Hello. Oh my gosh, Erin, can I just like have you walk around with me and introduce (laughs) me in all situations? I'll be your hype woman for sure. Here she comes.
0: And then you don't need to make fake phone calls to be like, hey, uh, hey, I'm in danger. Come and get me.
3: Exactly. You have a built-in buddy. (laughs) I can only pay you in like acorns. So I hope that's cool.
0: That's fine. I trust you to find edible food more than I trust myself, honestly. (laughs) Alexis, when and how did your foraging practice really start? When was the first time you stopped and you were like, Hmm. I'm going to put something wild and potentially deadly in my mouth right now. And how does the act of foraging make you feel?
3: Oh my gosh. Well, the funny thing is she now hates that I tell this story because it makes people ask her too many questions, but it's, I blame my mom <laughs> as many of us do for lots of our wonderful quirks and aspects of our personality. When I was really little, she used to decompress from her days, kicking butt in the boardrooms at Procter & Gamble by gardening. And so when I would go out and try to garden with her as like a five-year-old, I... I'm sure both of you are aware of this. Five-year-olds, what with their lack of motor skills and general lack of understanding of how the world works, generally not the best gardening assistance. <laughs> and so she would always give me like another little task. And one day that task was going and gathering all of the onion grass out of our lawn. And I had never noticed that there were different kinds of grass. Once again, 5 I like was barely recognizing my sense of self at that point in time. And she pointed it out to me and she's like, well, this grass, it's thinner than the other grass and it's slightly darker green and it grows taller. And it was like a switch was flipped in my head. And then suddenly I saw it everywhere and I went and I gathered it. And she's like, and if you break it, it smells really tasty. And I broke it and it smelled like garlic, like the best pasta nights. And so I became obsessed and I chose to white knuckle that hyper fixation for my entire life. (laughs) (laughs) What do you love the most about foraging? Oh, man. Honestly, I love the connection that it fosters with the spaces around you. I love how much more tuned in you are to like the little micro seasons and tiny machinations of even just the plants in your neighborhood. It's really exciting to kind of be like, instead of like, Oh, it's the first of August to be like, Oh my gosh, it's the first day of bur oak season. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It's the first day of pawpaw harvest. And also just from like an environmental science and a climate justice standpoint, being able to track whether those things are happening earlier in the year, later in the year, looking at what the harvests look like, comparing and contrasting season over season. I just really think it's an excellent way to have a finger on the pulse of all of the green spaces around you. And you can do it anywhere. Like you don't have to be out in the middle of the woods People are always surprised that I'm like, no, I live in downtown Columbus. Like, I can see the skyline from my front yard. I am not a mythical fairy living in an unreachable space in Appalachia. I'm out here just like everyone else.
1: Alexis, I think mythical fairy status could be debated. I think Aaron and <laughs> I do think you're a mythical fairy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> has your foraging practice changed over the years, whether through climate change or just because you're not five anymore?
3: (laughs) It has certainly changed. It's a little less onion grass heavy than it Mm. was when I was five, which honestly, onion grass is great. And the more I talk about it, the more I'm like, wow, I need to really harvest some more of that this winter and spring. After graduating from college and going through like the quintessential super broke period that I feel like especially all millennials and Gen Z folks are going through because the world's kind of on fire, both financially and physically, I was turning to foraging Because I realized I could not feed my body off of 59 cent packs of ramen Mm -hmm. and frozen undressed veggie burgers every day for the rest of my life. But also I wasn't out here about to pay for like bunches of kale. So I started going and foraging around my old neighborhood for me and the like five other people I was living with because once again, fresh out of college. (laughs) It would liven up dishes and we all would feel better afterwards. And that is kind of what made me take it from just a weird hobby that I would only do during the summers to a huge part of my life.
0: So, the world, as you mentioned, falling apart, things truly on fire, climate change getting worse. How do these sad facts impact your foraging practice? But do any of your practices at the same time give you hope?
3: Oh, man. I mean, I definitely see the effects in my foraging practice because things are getting progressively earlier year over year, which is sometimes terrifying to think about. When I was younger, and even when I was in college, there's a fruit here. It's our like state native fruit in Ohio called the pawpaw. And I remember harvest for that starting in early September. But now I reliably can start finding fruit The second week of August, I'm actually going to go check out one of my spots right after we're done chatting. (laughs) And that just lays bare how much warmer it is, how much warmer it is earlier, how much warmer it stays into the late summer, the fall, I mean, I was admittedly just listening to you guys' podcast yesterday. And you were talking about how, like, usually at the end of summer, you know, you have the cool evenings, you're going to the county fair, you're wearing your fly new, like, cold weather outfits. (laughs) And that is not happening right now. So I definitely am constantly faced with being like, oh, according to my notebook, two years ago, I was harvesting this three weeks later than I currently am now. We're just going to note it and we're just going to keep track of it because what else can we do? But if there is something that gives me hope, it's seeing so many people get invigorated about wild foods, about foods that are simply just grown closer to where they call home and I think this kind of return to some semblance of community-based agriculture is going to really help us in the long run. And I'm not saying New Yorkers need to give up their avocados, you know. (laughs) I'm not saying people in Texas need to give up maple syrup. But I'm seeing a lot more folks taking the opportunity to, like, go to farmers markets or go out foraging with their friends and kind of making a day of it. And all of those little choices add up over time in making a food climate that is much more environmentally friendly and much more environmentally sound. And also, the more people care about these green spaces around them and the more inherent value they see, they're like, oh, frick, it's for more than just like those birds I can't name. Well, now (laughs) I want to protect them too. And- So maybe that'll inspire some folks, maybe an oil baron or five Uh or (laughs) ten, to care a little bit more. (laughs) Those gosh darn oil barons with their monocles and their bags (laughs) of
0: money. Their top hats laying in piles in the corner. You only need one top hat. You don't need that many top hats. You don't need that many
3: top hats. Who's even making them for you anymore?
0: You know what? Flip your top hat upside down, fill it with some compost, and plant a little top hat garden. Ooh. Exactly. There you go. Wildflower seed top hat. I don't know. Why, what am I inventing? <laughs> <laughs> Alexis, how do you stay safe in the outdoors? Like, with around other people, I mean, not necessarily, like, plants. And what lessons have you mm-hmm. learned from foraging about the way that people are?
3: I have learned, and this is a sad learning, that as a, like six foot tall black woman, I typically feel safer and people treat me better when they come across me in the wilds of Ohio. If I am dressed in a really friendly or whimsical or approachable way, there is a discernible difference in the way that people talk to me when I'm just like, you know, schlubbing around in sweatpants and a t-shirt or a hoodie versus when I'm in like a ball gown <laughs> climbing a tree for berries, which, you know, is like, it's it's fun to laugh at. And I have to laugh at it so I don't cry about it. <laughs> My partner is white and Just the the differences he notices in how people treat me when I have a full face of makeup versus when I don't. When people know that we are outside together versus when maybe he's a few paces ahead of me or I'm a few paces ahead of him and they don't think we're together. So I typically do dress up for going out foraging. I always tell myself, you know, I'm dressing up for nature. I'm dressing up for mama nature, (laughs) not for these rude people who may have otherwise not been so keen on my foraging. And I do, especially when I'm going to new places, take a buddy For folks out there who are wondering how you can be a better ally to the outdoorsy woman or person of color in your life, go with them. Go with them. That's my pro tip for white men of the day. If you're listening, (laughs) go hiking with your friends so they feel safe and they don't die. (laughs) (laughs) Love that song. So catchy. Advice to live by.
1: Okay, Alexis. Alexis. As you said, we're in August now. Which of nature's gifts are you looking most forward to foraging right now? And do you have any special or favorite recipes you like to make this time of year?
3: Oh my gosh. I am uh, so glad that you asked. Right now, the two biggies that I have been focused on, you know what? We're going to make it three biggies because I'm always working on too many different things. Cornelian cherries are in season right now. They're Non native, but people love planting them as ornamentals in most American cities. They're not even real cherries. They're a dogwood with tasty fruits. <laughs> and they are ripe right now. They're delicious. I may or may not have Girl Bossed a little too close to the sun this weekend and harvested like 10 pounds of them. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's a lot. It's a (laughs) lot.
3: And so now there's an entire shelf of our fridge that's just Cornelian cherry jelly. Um, If you're in the greater Columbus area and you are hankering (laughs) for some jelly, let a girl know. I can hook (laughs) you up.
1: (laughs) Oh, my God. Jam is close to my heart. As Erin knows, jam's close to my heart. It should be close to everyone's. It should be close to everyone's. So here in upstate New York where I am, We do some foraging, only with very special people. My friend Mona, who's a chef, has taken me out to forage for fiddleheads and nettles and ramps at our friend Polly's house. But here's the thing. I learned from her, because she's a sustainable forager, that when it comes to ramps, for example, you leave the bulb. You don't take the bulb. So Alexis, can you talk about some starter steps for folks who want to be foraging sustainably? Oh, absolutely.
3: These are my favorite. There is this excellent book that by now, I feel like a lot of people have read called Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. And it talks a lot about the honorable harvest. And those are a lot of the rules that I kind of play by. Never take the first thing you see because it might be the last. You know, you get so excited and you're like, oh my God, a beautiful, perfectly right pawpaw. I'm just going to go ahead and yoink, take that. But you don't know if that's going to be the last one that you see. So that's always a big one. I'm very... Big on telling people, like, if the plant says no, leave it alone. And then folks are like, plants have never spoken. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you mean. And I'm like, uh, if it's out of your reach, I would consider that the plant saying, nah. This is for someone other than you. Uh, if you yank on it and it doesn't give, that I feel like is the plant being like, this thing is not ready yet. So maybe leave it alone until it is. If it's surrounded by poison ivy, uh, I'm like, poison <laughs> ivy is the bouncer of the woods. And that is her being like, nah, fam, this isn't (laughs) for you. I'm so sorry. You will have to continue your search elsewhere. And I am like, yeah, I don't want to mess with that. So I absolutely will continue my search elsewhere. Thank you (laughs) so much. And I always want to think about how that particular organism reproduces and whether or not I am leaving it enough to be able to do that job. So when you're gathering fruits per se, you don't want to take every single one of those because what that fruit was banking on was a bird eating it, Open it and then putting its babies elsewhere so they can continue on and not be like competing with it for resources you got to make sure those things can happen with mushrooms it's a little bit different because the mushrooms are just like the fruiting bodies they don't necessarily affect the mycelium going on underneath the ground or within the rotting wood but you also still want to leave some of them to make new spores make <laughs> new mycelium so i'm always just like mm. If I harvest all of this, would this plant be like my progeny? (laughs) (laughs) And if the answer is yes, I don't do it. (laughs) Uh,
0: That brought to mind a very clear memory of my dad discovering fly agaric mushrooms growing in our yard (gasps) and thinking Mm -hmm. if I just pick all these mushrooms, they won't come back. Mm -mm. They keep (laughs) Mm -mm. (laughs)
3: coming. He threw Mm -mm. them away. He threw uh... them away. I know. There I know. are some reindeer who love tripping who would have loved the donation <laughs> of those fly agaric mushrooms. Oh, my
0: God. Reindeer who love <laughs> tripping. Now, that is going to be what I meditate on from now until the holiday season <laughs> of 2023. Exactly. Well, Alexis, Nicole, thank you so much for joining us. This was pure delight. And please come back again
3: another thank time. You. We
0: love chatting with you.
3: Oh, thank you so much for having me and thank you so much for the amazing work that you guys do you know long time listener first time chatter so oh, that what? makes me so happy
1: oh, <laughs> oh we love that blushing
3: oh, we are
0: i am blushing too okay um uh, thank you so much <laughs> listeners stick around we will be right back And welcome back. You're listening to Hysteria, the podcast that's been clinically proven to safely absorb heavy flows of fuckery. Alyssa, you thought that was going in a different direction.
1: I did. I I love where it went. (laughs) Okay, let's just bring in our panel right
0: away because we got a lot to get to today. Soccer fans, you should listen to our first panelist's new podcast called In These Cleats, love that, with Angel City star Paige Nielsen. It's the footballer queen herself, Tien Tran. Tien, welcome.
2: Hello, honored to be here.
0: You seem (laughs) tightly wound.
2: (laughs) (laughs) What's going on? How's the World Cup going for you? Oh, I just watched it. I'm like in the middle of a stressful game. I keep rooting for teams that are losing. So, don't let me support you. I guess is the (laughs) lesson here.
0: (laughs) Okay, noted. (laughs) Our next panelist is celebrating the five-year anniversary of her podcast, Couples Therapy. It's returning Hysteria fave, Naomi Ekparrigan. Naomi, welcome to Hysteria. Hello, ladies. That's it. I am so happy both of you are here. Oh, that's it? That's it. (laughs) Hello. Hi. We're here. (laughs) This week, a piece came out that got a lot of us on the group chat active. I don't know why I even... What is my syntax? A lot of us on the group chat active. I've been watching Planet of the Base too much. uh, And everything I say sounds like it's been put through Google Translate like four times. Um, (laughs) So there's a piece that ran in The Atlantic this week by New York Times opinion writer David Brooks. And the piece was called How America Got Meat. In introducing the piece to his Twitter audience, Brooks said... The most important story about why Americans have become sad and alienated and rude, I believe, is also the simplest. We inhabit a society in which people are no longer trained in how to treat others with kindness and consideration. Naomi, let's start with the problem that Brooks identifies, that America has gotten super mean. Does this ring true for you?
4: Absolutely. We've all gotten very mean. I think that, do you want me to tell you why? Yes. Tell me the signs. Move over, Brooks. Move over. (laughs) Okay? I didn't write it, but I got my thoughts. Certainly, I think a very simple thing that a lot of people would say is like, social media has, Mm -hmm. you know, isolated us, silos. That's not the one I'm going to go with. Even though I do believe that to be true, in part. I think that for many decades, for many generations, Americans were sold a belief in the power of our system, that if we played by certain rules, we would ultimately be okay. Meaning, you would have a job, you would have a roof over your head, and you know, if you wanted, your kid could go to college. You could. And I think we are seeing in recent years the extent to which that system may not have ever existed for a lot of people, but certainly if it did, it ain't working anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is fueling a resentment that leads people to then feel like, okay, then I'm just going to get mine and get mine is everything from cutting you in line at the coffee shop to... (laughs) um, Not donating to causes or not staying away from Maui when you've been asked to. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Tian, what about you? you, Do you agree that America has gotten super mean? And what signs have you seen if that's the case?
2: I think so, too. I think it has gotten meaner. I will take the route of like seeing it on social media. I have to like stop myself from getting in fights with teenagers about women's soccer. I have to like stop. Like I have to like consciously be like, no, don't get into this fight right now. There's no reason to. I also think there's like a level of social media that like lets people have anonymity and so that they can just go in and comment on anything. And I I see so much vitriol, misogyny, homophobia, racism on the internet that like, It makes me sad. Like, I went down a hole of reading too many comments after... Sorry, I'm watching so much soccer, and I'm so sorry that that's all I can think about right now. No, I love the athlete perspective.
4: I love the athletic perspective. (laughs) Mm, This is
2: not an athlete perspective. (laughs) But I think there is something to the fact that people are questioning these systems and these institutions, and the people that have been propped up by these institutions are, like, kind of... Backlashing in a very hateful way, and I think it's just ad—it's just all coming together.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So, like, kind of related to what Naomi is saying, is like we are given this dream that's kind of crumbling, and it needs to to be kind of broken. And people are questioning it, and those who are being questioned are pushing back. Mm-hmm. White men—I'm saying white men—are very angry on the <laughs> internet right
0: now. <laughs> uh, Alyssa, what do you make of the the premise of the of Brooks's piece that America has gotten? really mean and uh and we don't, we lack a moral center do you agree
1: I don't think it's so much that we lack a moral center like i sort of took objection mm-hmm. to his idea that we need a moral education mm-hmm. you know that that's really what was happening i feel like what naomi said is totally true that like everyone's been promised that if you work hard and play by the rules you're going to end up mm-hmm. comfortable right that you will have an okay life you will have enough to get by i think that you know, probably starting, I felt it the most obviously when I was in the White House working for President Obama. Okay, yes, tell us that. You know I love it. <laughs> I <know>. Shush, Naomi. <laughs> no, I love it too. I No, I love it. Like I truly do. That if you gave something to somebody, right? If you're looking at giving aid to somebody because there's been a wildfire or you're looking to improve SNAP benefits or give paid family leave, that the right has really sort of doubled down on people who feel like they have played by the rules and they haven't gotten where they wanted to go by saying, oh yes, and another thing, anything that anybody gives to somebody other than you isn't just giving that person something, it is specifically taking it away from you. And I think that that, especially in the sort of grievance politics of Donald Trump, Mm. which is so incredible because he's so fucking rich that people listen to him (laughs) when he's (laughs) like, it's all been taken from you. And I think that like that has given way to a political discourse that has sort of gotten seeped all the way down to the roots of this country that's like you don't just disagree with me, you're wrong and you're evil, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that that's like a big chasm that's, you know, you used to be able to, look, I mean, political discourse has never been great, but I think that people could disagree and be like, I'm a Republican and you're a Democrat and I don't believe what you believe, but like we can still be friends. But now there's a real like, you're hateful, you're evil. You don't care about people if you believe certain things. And it's, it's true, I think mostly on the right, but I do think that there are like, you know, factions of libertarianism and of the fringe left that are also sort of giving into that villainization, for lack of a better word.
0: I think that what you have all brought up, that we're told that if we just act nice and loving and giving and kind and center others' needs or whatever, if you only do that, then things will work out for you. I think that there's another piece to that, and that is that we know more about the lives of billionaires and the lives of the super rich people who formed this country or who, you know, formed the economic backbone of this country. We know more about them now than we ever did. And those people don't fucking follow the rules. They do not. Mm-hmm. The, the thing that every billionaire has in common is the superpower to not give a shit about how many people they're hurting to just keep Mm -hmm. pushing forward and not give a shit and morality and kindness dictates like you have to give a shit. That's the thing that you should do the most is give a shit about not causing people pain and not exploiting people. And if someone points it out to you that you're causing pain or you're exploiting someone, the moral response is to say, Oh my gosh, I don't want to do that. I'm going to stop doing the thing that is exploiting people or causing them pain. But we see demonstration after demonstration about how the people that become the most successful within our system are the people who can hear that and be like, I don't care. And then there is no social consequence to them because they don't care. And that's a superpower. There is no legal consequence to them because whatever framework exists to punish people for acting in ways that are exploitative is not enforced. And so we see that and we're like, why am I going to go out of my way to be kind when being kind and living a life that is centered around considering the needs of other people is one that's going to lead to me being taken advantage of by people who don't give a shit. You know, it's it's show yeah. business, not show friendship.
4: Um- <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sorry. This, is, this, I think, is my problem because I'm in show friendship. And if I don't like yeah. you, I don't want to be around you. And that could be why I don't work much.
0: Okay. <laughs> no, I'm in show friendship, too. I'm in show friendship, too. I think women especially are raised to be in show friendship. And Tian, carry on. Go go on and say what you're going to no, say. No, I was
2: just going to say, and like, you know, the superpower of the billionaires and the rich is that that sort of violence and exploitation is normalized. And when people speak up about it, like, I was listening to a podcast the other day about how, like is this language about, like, the class war that the SAG and WGA strikes are using, like, is that helpful at all? And they were saying that, like, we're using incendiary language of, like, putting us against them, of, like, the workers, like, shouldn't be attacking the executives. And you're like, what are you talking, like, that's the sort of, like, meanness that is, like, being, I think, kind of, is not being validated when it is like we've been exploited we've been taken advantage of we can get mad like we're allowed to say the mean thing because it's true so I think there's like levels to it that I think we need to be more nuanced about instead of like because like this article as I was reading it too I just always question anyone who's like the good old days yes (laughs) like for who like for who who are you who are you talking about for you
0: like you're talking like about the good old days for you so like In 2016, Donald Trump tweeted, well, I've never met David Brooks of the New York Times. I consider him one of the dumbest of all the pundits. He has no real sense of the real world. And I have to say, I agree with Donald Trump generally when we're talking about David Brooks's columns. I feel like there's a a good intention behind a lot of what he's writing. And he did, like, identify a problem. He did. That's real. But the
1: causes of the problem just like woofed right by his head. I was thinking about what Tien said earlier. It's like, it's, we've come to a place where like being mean is incentivized. Like Mm -hmm. we're outraged, you know, like on social media specifically, it's like you can tweet the nicest thing. And this is, I'm going back to pre-X because I can't really tell you how X works. (laughs) You know, I'm going back to Twitter, Twitter of days gone by. And if you tweeted, like Aaron, for example, if we would, it's this time of year when we would help teachers clear the list, right? So teachers would tweet at us and we'd retweet and you'd get maybe one or two retweets and it's fine. If you said something incendiary and nasty about someone, you'd go viral. Mm -hmm. And I think that like that is such a part of people are just incentivized. It's like fame matters. Being some sort of influencer is what so many people want. And the best way to do it is by being a fucking shithead and saying terrible things look some of the most popular podcasts out there right now are hosted by people who say incendiary mean things Mm. to people who don't deserve it we say it to people who do deserve it (laughs) we are properly incendiary
4: (laughs) well there are two things because i want to piggyback on on both of those things because i think it is like it's both that like think about it right like people joke about this a lot online right but if i said i love pancakes the first response would be why do you hate waffles exactly how dare you erase (laughs) waffles from the discourse you know or my fit like one One of my favorite things that my husband and I joke about in the house is like when somebody will post something and it's like if you're not angry you're not paying attention people you have to be angry if you're not upset if you're not outraged literally putting your rage out that means you're not aware or engaging or educated the extent to which things go viral Or a trend will start from, like, hating someone. Like, everyone's mad at Rachel Ziegler because she said she didn't like the original Snow White. And now there is a stream, there are a stream of TikTok videos about how nobody ever liked her, right? But people are doing those videos because they know those videos will get the engagement. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, you get rewarded for the attitude. and But I also think, too, right, there's this difference between anger and meanness. I'm yes. angry all the time, mm-hmm. but I say yes. please and thank you. Like, yes. there's a <laughs> mm-hmm. range of things that I can't stand, but I don't put that on the back of a random person who posted something and I want to get in their comments. You know what I mean? Or I don't put that on the back. Like, And so I think, too, and I think part of Brooks's thing of, like, I think it is for him about, like, why are people not nice? And I think that's different. Right, Because when, we're t- when we talk about niceness, we're talking about upholding norms. We're talking about making sure you don't say something that might make someone uncomfortable. You know what I mean? And it's like, I'm not saying when I say like, okay, I'm, I'm not trying to be mean. There's, like, there's a time and a place for it, I guess is my point too, right? Like mm-hmm. mean at any old body you walk by, right? Or any old person you see online. Because I think a lot of the online-ness is what I imagine when I see a really angry comment from someone who doesn't know the person they're commenting on in any way. What I'm imagining is somebody who just feels really powerless in their life and who is like, mm-hmm. I want I right. to get somebody. I want to get you. I want to get you. And <laughs> they just <laughs> go to someone else because that feels good and you get likes if you've got a real zinger, you know what I mean? And then you go, see, I'm not alone. They support me. I'm right. And Naomi, to your point, kind of, it's also
1: like there is a difference between us criticizing President Trump who has way more power than we do than someone like President Trump or Rudy Giuliani trying to take out Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss, the two election workers. Like the balance of power also in how people have decided to be mean, right, is very different. It's not just me taking you on 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 Instagram about how you care for your cats. (laughs) Come at me, Alyssa. It's people who have you know, disproportionate power deciding to take it out on people who can't possibly defend themselves or make their point in the way that the person in more power could. Mm-hmm.
2: I see what he's saying. I think it's more that like we've also shift. Like we need an ever evolving moral center because you know, niceness can also mean just like for me, like in the past, I would sit in a room and like let a microaggression slide. Like, is that good? Like, that's me being nice and polite. And, like, upholding, like, a sort of social contract that I'm not going to make everyone uncomfortable because I just got made uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Like, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. I feel like that's what Brooks is getting at. like. I mean, yeah. I, like in, in a classic David Brooksian way, like, by the way, I'm it seems like I'm being mean to him. But like Alyssa and I were talking about how in 2014 he wrote a column about income inequality and was like, well, income inequality exists because very rich people, of course. But it also exists because of very poor people. And like reading the, it was like, I still remember. <laughs> Thank you for that deep dive. I still remember this the, like stroke I felt like I was having where I was like. What is he talking about? What are you talking about, David? I think like he gets close to some salient points and then he misses it. Like, but (laughs) the the premise is salient. (laughs) I think he conflates morality with kindness. Like being kind and being moral are not the same thing. Or like nice or polite. Being polite is not the same thing as being moral. And I feel like David Brooks probably thinks that it is. In an example like Tian gave, where... David Brooks probably thinks that it would have been impolite for Tian to be like, hey, that's fucked up. Don't say that, you know? Because
2: I know some morally corrupt people that are very kind
0: to Totally. My face. They're always some, so nice. Some. Oh, my
4: God. How else do you keep corrupting, <laughs> honey?
0: <laughs> like, a couple weeks back, and, and I, I feel like finally we have the framework to talk about this now without me getting spammed. But when Mitch McConnell had some sort of an episode on camera, my first thought was that poor man. My first thought, my because my instinct is to care about other people and to be like, this is a human being experiencing something very unpleasant. But then, like split second later, I was like, that poor man, if he saw a film of exact same thing happening to me, or something much worse happening to a migrant child or a pregnant woman, he would not have any emotional response to it. And if he did have an emotional response to it, he would not take any action to like help the person because he's got an entire career of hurting people. And yet I see him in pain and I think that's a man in pain and I don't want that, you know? And I feel like that's the the superpower that I'm talking about. It's like he just doesn't give a shit. Oh, see, that's nice. That Exactly. That's nice. Tien <laughs> and
1: That, I think it's, it's, it's like, even if you take niceness out of it, I think that in this day and age, we have stopped, a lot of people have, but Aaron, you clearly didn't, is that you start off by giving someone the benefit of the doubt until they prove you wrong. And I feel like now sometimes, you know, like I was driving down the road. I mean, it's happened to me a couple of times. My car is full of bumper stickers. I mean, most of them say things like, love food, hug a farmer. But there are some other politically charged ones like matriarchy forever. And this guy gets up on my ass and and tries to drive me off the road and then passes me and says, cry your liberal tears. What? Who in a Subaru has ever hurt you? Like, right. honestly. But wow. who in a Subaru has ever cried unless they're listening to the Indigo Girls and it's an emotional... <laughs> Hello! Song. Thank you. (laughs) But that's, but it's like, I think that now people just see people who are maybe different than them and they just go for broke instead of being like, you know what? Maybe they're a good person. No, no, no.
4: Alyssa, no. I'm very upset by this. This what? is crazy that this yeah, happened that to you. Yeah, that is so
1: wild. That's crazy
4: that somebody would do that. You guys, it's happened a couple times.
1: And the thing is, the only reason I'm telling this story is because my husband does not routinely listen to this podcast because when I started slapping stickers on the back of that car, he's like, I don't know. <laughs> this feels fraud <laughs> in this day and age. Uh-huh. And I literally said, come on. Who's going to get on me because of a couple bumper stickers?
4: Little did I know. Yeah, I mean, that is like, I'm so enraged because... Luckily, obviously, it was a passing incident. This person kept moving. But in a world with very little gun control and so much anger and the idea, like, it would have been different if you had cut them off first. No, I was just going the speed limit. No, you were literally just living your life with yeah. some stickers. And I think that is the thing that we, this uh, that's our problem now, right? Like, that's the issue. That's what Brooks needs to kind of <laughs> write about and drill down <laughs> yeah. on. Like, yeah. are you kidding me? I mean. And I think too, like, I live in a
1: community that's loaded with Trump flags and stickers. It has never occurred to me to ride someone's bumper because of their bumper sticker. Like, that is insane to me no if i ever see that bumper sticker i'm like 20 feet back i'm like yeah "Yeah,
4: i'm giving extra room giving you breathing room but that's what they want though and by they i hate whenever i use the word they it feels like it's like the monolith but i'm like i think that's what what can be tricky is that the person who puts up the trump thing knows or thinks this is gonna really make one of those liberal cry your liberal tears like whatever it is they know that yeah Time to own some libs, but they think that if you have your bumper stick saying, you know, matriarchy forever, that you can be fought. You can be pushed over. You can be pushed out. I think
0: they also have such hair trigger and heightened emotions and the inability to see outside of themselves that they think that everybody has the same emotional composition that they do, which is like just right on the edge of just being totally pushed over the... I, I want to say one quick thing. I want to rant about capitalism really quick. Oh, yeah,
4: Always. Oh, please, Always. Yes.
0: Brooks is never going to get this because he is a dyed-in-the-wool capitalist, institutionalist in the most wet, cold oatmeal kind of way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't understand that all of this is an inevitable outcome of late-stage American capitalism unless there are like drastic steps taken to help alleviate this. Okay, so we're lonely. Loneliness and disconnection from your community cause mental health problems, including like explosive rage and unkindness to people around you. Well, you know, the ideal consumption unit in a capitalist society is one-person households. How many stoves does a household with one person in it need? One. How many stoves does a household with five people in it need? One. Like the ideal consuming unit is a household consisting of one person. Secondly, like massive wealth inequality that is brought to us by people who ignore all of these social mores is like, what is making everyone be like, hey, this is fucked up. I'm not going to do this because these people don't have to do this. It's like a two-pronged thing. It's happening, like, capitalism is messing with people on a micro level and then it's also messing with our entire society on a macro level. And it's, it's fucking capitalism, man. Like, we need to be a society where despair isn't, one broken leg like economic complete despair isn't just like a broken leg away you know you you break yeah. your leg yeah. you get prescribed <laughs> yeah. a painkiller you get addicted to the painkiller there's meanwhile there's a family that invented the painkiller that are billionaires they're billionaires
1: yes yeah.
0: The, yeah. the consequence of killing literally millions of Americans for them has been they get to keep the money and, like, some of them are going to have to, like, change their names or their, like, grandkids right. are going to be embarrassed when they get into Yale
4: and have to, like, explain. No one at Yale is going to ask them anything. And that's the yeah. problem there, too. Because everybody at Yale is like, <laughs> oh, yeah, my grandparents did some shit, too. I have a C average. You
2: know what I mean? Like, but I'm taking over the company and just going to keep going.
0: I'm yeah, keep going. Yeah. I'm just- I mean, well, well, nevertheless, okay. Well, and then like we're all supposed to just sit there and watch these people get everything that they want and suffer no consequences except people going, don't do it. Like my kid, Juniper, is at a phase now where if she sees something she doesn't like, she shakes her finger and goes, no, no, no. No, no, no. Like if it's on TV, if she sees people fighting, she goes, no, no, no. No, no, no. Or something get knocked over or something on fire. No, no, no. But that's literally the consequences that are suffered from people who break every moral decency rule and become billionaires. They've got us standing outside being like, no, 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 no. And David Brooks identifies that as the problem. He identifies us shaking our finger as the problem. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Like we get to be angry about that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what's meaner? Like, exploiting workers in such a dramatic way that the size of the family that they can have is impacted, the uh, relationship that they're able to have with other people is impacted, their enjoyment of life is impacted, their health is impacted. What's meaner that or those people who are impacted pointing out that the people doing it to them fucked up? You know, I, I just... I can't believe David Brooks made me agree with Donald Trump. Um, (laughs) We are going to take a quick break. When we come back, we've got Sanity Corner slash I Feel Petty with two, I'm going to say two of the champs of Sanity Petty, Tien and Naomi. All right, stick around. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Hysteria, the podcast that's kind of like Sour Patch Kids. Sour, then sweet, but always the red one, somehow, also. I I don't know what that means. (laughs) All right. uh, Before we get into Sanity Corner slash I Feel Petty, some announcements for the class. At the current rate of Trump's legal troubles, every Georgia native is going to be put on a Trump jury sooner or later.
1: So you might as well grab our totally impartial potential juror tee to signal that you're totally unbiased and ready to serve.
0: Honestly, I would wear that shirt to try to get out of jury duty.
1: I feel like they would see me wearing it. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Aaron, I think we need to have one in our closet just for when we're called for jury duty.
0: Oh, oh my gosh. Uh opinionated about legal matters. Prejudice against law enforcement, corruption, that sort of thing.
1: Rico specialist.
0: (laughs) Armchair Rico specialist. Head to crooked.com slash store to shop now and get yours. All right. You got that, Naomi? Kick us off.
4: Well, I'm going to tell you I'm petty. You know I'm never saying, but I'm always petty. So (laughs) let me tell you what happened last week, y'all. My iPhone died out of nowhere literally like i had plugged it in i took a nap I, cu- I wake up from my nap my phone said i'm gonna die in my sleep <laughs> will not come on i lost my wedding photos like all the pictures i took from wedding stuff <gasps> oh no pictures of my recently deceased cat son prembly from the last oh. four years i mean the netflix half hour like i you know i had a lot on that phone so this is what i feel petty about though So I'm walking into it, you know, and I do everything I can to try to fix it, of course. Then I go to the genius bar. First of all, you ain't a genius. You're basic. So that's the side. Because they don't know nothing. Because that man did the same shit I did. And then he said, it don't work. And I said, sir, sir, you don't have another plan. But let me tell you what's making me. At every turn, people keep asking me. Did you save it to the cloud? Were you backed up to the cloud? Were you backed up to the cloud? If I was backed up to the cloud, I wouldn't be at a 10, okay? Stop asking me if I'm backed up to the cloud. If it had been in the cloud, I'd be on a cloud, okay? But I'm here, I'm on earth, I'm not on the cloud, I don't have my things, okay? We all talk about AI and we talk about corporate reach and we talk about a surveillance state. Have you all been backing up to the cloud and not telling me? I didn't know we were backing up to the cloud. I didn't know we said Google take my life. I didn't know we said Apple take a bite. I'm mad at all y'all telling me to back up to the damn cloud. (laughs) I'm done. Oh, my God. I, I feel
0: bad laughing at that because it is so awful that that happened, but you're talking about it in a way that is so funny. Wow. Yeah. You should be a comedian. That's my brand, something.
4: Erin.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Naomi, I'm guessing you never saw the episode of Sex and the City, the original series where Carrie loses everything because it wasn't backed up to the cloud. <laughs> She does. And no. she's,
0: like, she's like, I didn't Circa. know
4: everybody. Were people yeah. backing things up? In Circa 04. Oh, my God. Am I Black Carrie Bradshaw? I had no idea. <laughs> you might be. You know, but
1: maybe she just didn't back it up. It wasn't about the cloud. I think she made but just not also, a factor. It was her
4: laptop, right? Was it her yeah. laptop? It was her laptop. I back up my laptop. It's specifically my phone. I didn't realize we were putting all that stuff somewhere else. Right? <sighs> like, I engage in laptop care. I didn't know the phone was to the cloud. And I don't even know not nah, what the cloud is. It's just a lot. It's just a lot. And I just feel like the way everybody <laughs> said that to me, matter of fact. And I said, don't you victim blame right now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Well, that is, a, that is an extremely petty petty, but I get it. I get it. I think we all get it. I'm sorry, we all relate. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: Alyssa, you want to go next? Okay, you guys, um, so obviously months ago, I watched the Bama Rush doc, which was not very good, but it made me curious, and so on TikTok and Instagram, I've been following Bama Rush right now, and let me tell you, there was so much that was not included in that documentary. Um, One, couple things, so I'm petty because uh, what has happened to college since I left it 20 some years ago, 25, oh God, 25 years ago at this point at least? Like, what are these dorm rooms these girls are sleeping These are <laughs> posh. You guys, these are not two bunk beds on top of each other. This isn't buying a loft in the quad of your dorm so that you can hoist yourself in the air and have your desk and mini-fridge Underneath, this is Mm -hmm. crazy. Also, what is the pants store? Where did tapestries go? (laughs) Why (laughs) is David Yurman making a comeback? Like I, I I have my share of David Yurman, but these girls are (laughs) decked out in David Yurman from head to toe. Their shoes and shorts—they are coastal grandmas at age eighteen, but not. You know what I mean? Like there is so much. Happening. And I was like, you know, like I listened to the Grateful Dead channel, and it's like (laughs) on this day in Grateful Dead history, well, these girls do OOTD on this day of like what they're wearing for their net for philanthropy day and all this stuff. I It is so far out of my realm of comprehension as a hippie. I'm a hippie for all intents and purposes. (laughs) But like, honestly, it is the dorm rooms that have blown my brain. Now, Caroline, our producer, when I mentioned this to her, she was like, oh, Alyssa, they have like transitional housing when they're rushing. They live in other places. That may be true in some, but I've seen some dorm rooms. (laughs) The dorm rooms look like they look like like West Elm. They look like room and board. And it's just it's not giving old steamer trunk and plastic old milk crates where we keep our microwavable oatmeal. You know what I'm saying? It's a a very different aesthetic now. Yeah.
2: (laughs) No, I saw a dorm room that was featured on Apartment Therapy
1: and I was like, what the fuck (gasps) is happening? Like, what is happening? I was like, this is, How dare you? And also, even if they themselves have invested in all this stuff for their dorm room, like if these like big beds they had made that look like, I don't even know, like actual furniture, well, like they don't even know that it's going to work for them in their next, like they're basically spending money not knowing if it's going to be able to be in their next room or whatever. It just seems like such an absurd waste of money. And I feel like they're lacking real (laughs) character. They're not building... They're not building the character that one builds as a freshman. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah.
4: Oh, yeah. Yeah. You out the house. You broke. You uncomfortable. You live on a person you never yes. met who might be insane. And yep. at best, honey, you've got threshold sheets from Target. That's the best you're yes. doing. A threshold. Yes. I
0: kept my threshold sheets for all four
1: years. Yes. Same with me. Yeah. Extra long. Oh, also, Caroline. Caroline wants us to know a lot of it is sponsored. Okay. What? What's still the, that's That even worse. is okay. If, I don't know. If someone doesn't show me a tapestry, then I got nothing. Oh my god.
0: <laughs> yeah, these. I just, I just have to say, like, I went to college with girls like that, even though there were no sororities at my school. But like, people who came in with a whole like building crew to like s- to build their lofted <laughs> beds. Wow. Yes, I remember being like, oh, is that? Yeah, like a crew, and they had like this whole plan, and I was like, wow, I did not do, I did not understand that's the assignment. Insane. Yeah, it's really, it's really insane. Uh, One thing that I'm going to say, this is like a petty tag along to that, is these girls are like wearing so many David Yurman pieces, like thousands of dollars worth of jewelry.
4: I'm Googling David Yurman because I don't even know what's happening. It's ugly. Jewelry. It's very
1: early 2000s. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, look, I have a fair amount, but it's very
2: early 2000s. My mom has a lot. My sisters have a lot. My like older sisters. It's in early 2000s.
4: The thing was like when I was younger, you know, I went to a rich, fancy school. So they were wearing... Kate Tiffany's. spade Kate spade yes. and we Tiffany's, T- Tiffany's were like the things yes. you had. Okay, yep. but David Yerman yes. is in that family. Right. Uh-huh.
0: So they're they're rich enough to have all of these David yerman things, but then they're also wearing outfits where a lot of the pieces are from like Sheen, which is like an exploitative. You can afford yes it the is. real thing. You don't need to buy the like cheap, fast <laughs> fashion. What are you doing? Buy the real thing. Because you ruin it so
2: much when you chug beer, Erin. Oh, God. That's, that's true.
0: Oh,
2: God. Okay. It's easier to throw up on cheap clothes, you know?
0: That's a good point. Learn how to do your laundry. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know what? I hope that they enjoy their college years because your 20s suck. I just got to say, it, it, even if you're pretty rich, your 20s are a time of being like, I don't know how to do anything. I
4: don't know, man. You could always resale that David Yerman, honey. Yeah between yeah between That's checks <laughs> also they're subsidized they're subsidized they will be staying they're in yeah. they're moving into new construction on the lower east oh, okay. side mm-hmm. okay okay
0: mm-hmm. oh god no thank you oh, glad i left that town okay <laughs> tian why don't you go i'll go last okay oh well i'll just do i'll do a sanity
2: corner oh good you know in this time i i just want to Encourage everyone to watch the Women's World Cup. We have a final on Sunday. naomi smirking at me because I'm being such a jock right now. But No, I'm so, just, like, so excited.
4: Because like I love that she was like, I'm gonna be sane. And I was like, okay, <laughs> someone bring it. Someone bring it. oh. Bro.
2: No, the World Cup is so exciting. It really if you haven't watched it yet, you're not you have one more chance to not be a gender traitor, And <laughs> And it is the largest, most exciting World Cup that there's ever been. It has the most teams. It has like the best views. It's it's breaking all the records. And I don't know who the final team is because I'm in the middle of watching the game. But I think it's going to be two of the best teams from the tournament. And it's just a delight. It's like these women that are at the top of their game playing their hearts out for their country. Yes, nationalism. This is the only time I'm okay with it. So like truly this is the only time that it feels okay to root for a flag. Um but it's 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 in a really exciting time and I think if you haven't watched it yet, check it out on Sunday. It's the championship game. And I hope you I hope you enjoy it cuz it's going to be great. It's at three a.m., but you can record it and watch it later.
0: Six a.m. if you're on the if you're on the East Coast, though, so that's slightly more humane. You can do it. Yeah. Also there are more out players in the World Cup than there has ever been, which is
2: also really cool, so if you're a true ally, you would be watching too. So
0: <laughs> I'm just trying to shame you into it. I think that's how you create fans, right? David Brooks so <laughs> mad about people being mean or not moral. Uh he should be watching the World Cup. Otherwise, you know, hypocrite. Um okay, so m- mine is like a little bit of a I feel petty it is a story that is objectively a sad story. I don't want to minimize the sadness and the frustration of the story itself. And that's the story that this week, the subject of the film, The Blind Side, uh, alleges <sighs> that his adopted family actually didn't really adopt him. They made him sign a conservatorship and made millions of dollars off of his story, and he saw very little of that, which is an objectively awful, sad If those allegations are true, like what a terrible group of people to just take advantage of this like gifted athlete, just as he was Mm -hmm. starting to to show signs that he was going to probably be a gifted athlete. Um, But here's what I do want to say about the blind side. I knew that movie was shitty. I knew it (laughs) when it came out. And people were talking about how like good it was. Like, no shade to Sandra Bullock, you know, she did what she did. She has nothing to do with the actual backstory. Mm-hmm. Um, but the movie itself, I was like, this is stupid. This is a movie, this is a movie for the world's David Brookses. To go in and be like, see, mm-hmm. people are good. Without like applying any scrutiny to the story, without applying any, hmm, what is this story saying? Who is profiting from this story? Is this story real? I think it's part of a reckoning for kind of treacly movies of this era, which include like Crash, um, where we look back and we're mm. like, that movie actually sucked. It's nice to feel vindicated where like at the time I was like a lot of people i wasn't just me it was a lot of people were like mm, this movie seems like mm, exploitative <laughs> yeah i don't know i don't know about this movie um it feels good to see that there's like kind of a reckoning taking place in these like feel good movies that really all they do is like First of all, they don't tell the whole truth. Second of all, they tell a truth that is like something that white people want to hear so that they feel better about the way the world is. And then it, it kind of gives them like, inoculates them against other bad things because this good thing exists, you know? I. Anyway, so um, yeah, the story is super sad. I hope that Michael Ower, who is the subject of The Blind Side, is able to get the money that is owed to him. And I hope that The family that profited off of this, if his allegations are true, really um, has to pay out the nose because that is super fucked up, super fucked up. Totally. Um, Okay. That's all the time we have for this week's episode. Thank you, Tien and Naomi, for stopping by. Alyssa, thank you so much for being my ride or die. Thank you to Alexis Nicole, aka the Black Forager. And listeners, thank you. Thank you for sticking with us every week. Um, I've had a few of you come up to me in public and say hi. I always love it because you guys are always so nice. Like, it's never creepy to me. Same. You guys are always nice. It's and never cool. creepy. We, we love you. <laughs> we love hearing from you. You guys are all really cool and smart and thoughtful and, and awesome. What does it say about our voices, though? I, <laughs> are we distinct and special? I need a new thing to be neurotic about, Alyssa, so thank you for that. Yeah, Um, you're welcome. Yeah, I was was too calm, so now I need to obsess about that. (laughs) Uh, If you guys want to get in touch, hysteria at crooked.com, you can also tweet at us, which we're not really on that website that much anymore, but you can try. We're also on Instagram, and there will be more hysteria for you next week. is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Ruskin is our senior producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. And Alyssa Mastromonico is our co-producer. Fiona Pestana is our associate producer. The show is engineered and edited by Jordan Kanter. Our video producers are Rachel Gajewski and Megan Patzel. And thank you to Julia Beach, Ewa Okulate, Amelia Montooth, Adia Hill, and David Tolls for production support every week. Don't forget to follow us at Crooked Media on Instagram and Twitter for more original content, host takeovers, and other community events.